this great passage here in Corinthians today, but actually I'm going to speak about the gospel. But first I'm going to begin with this passage. And it says about Jesus Christ, his gracious act, for you know the gracious act of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was his gracious act? That for your sake, he became poor, although he was rich, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Isn't that great passage? That God, who, whenever you think of Jesus Christ, you always have to think he is God. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity. He existed before the world from all eternity. He is God. He is greater than the universe. He is greater than the plants and the animals. Actually, they, they just discovered a new sea creature I saw on the Weather Channel the other day, and it kind of looked like a half jellyfish, but it had tentacles to it, and they had never seen it before. And it was like opening up its mouth, and they think it eats jellyfish. And they don't even know what to call it. We're even discovering new wonders of creation, of nature, of the universe. And there's always this exploration, even astronomy, if you like astronomy. They're, they're discovering new planets. They have a new telescope out there. And they're discovering new planets, new stars. It's just, it's mind-boggling how much is, is out there, how much of wonder and beauty of this world. Those are the riches of God. Of God. And yet God, who is greater than all the universe, became small, became little, became little for us. That when Jesus was born, he became little. He was born in Bethlehem. I, I, I always laugh at this. Aren't you glad that there was no hotel vacancies for Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? Aren't you glad that he was born in a manger with the poor and the people who are overlooked by the world, the shepherds and the little ones? And can you imagine a Christmas in which we had to build hotels for Jesus instead of manger sets? It would be Christmas if we didn't build a nice manger set with the hay and the sheep and, you know, and the wise men and, you know, all the figures. There, there are the shepherds. There's something glorious in the poverty of our God and God emptying himself. That God himself, that he, he hid his divinity and wrapped it with his humanity. And so all we saw, all you see is the humanity of Jesus, but his divinity was hidden in there. And that's the poverty of God. And in the Eucharist, Jesus, his divinity and his humanity are hidden in the form of bread. He wraps it in the form of bread. It's like a Christmas gift. And all we see is the wrapper that's there but we don't see what's inside the gift itself. What's inside the gift itself is divinity and humanity of Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity is wrapped in the form of bread. Yet God keeps the wrapping that's there, that's all we see, but as, as the philosophers and the theologians say, the substance has changed in that form. And so God gives himself to us. He lowers himself, and he continues to love us, 
even when we don't deserve it, because we don't deserve it. In our day and age, we do not deserve the love of God. We deserve punishment. You have to realize that. So sometimes to realize God's love, you have to realize God's justice also. We are not deserving of God's love in our day and age with our sins. None of us are. But that's why God, he continues to love us. He continues to allow the sun to shine on the good and the bad. He continues to allow the rain to fall on the good and the bad. He continues to give of himself. Aren't you glad that you don't have the job as God, that you aren't divine? I always thank God. I always say, thank you, God, I'm not divine, that I don't have to take care of all these people on earth. Because so, I would have punished the earth already. I would have punished it. If I was guy, I would, I would have nuked the earth, started all over again. But thank God that Father Anthony is not God. And don't worship me as God. Thank, thank you, God, that I'm not God. I don't have the job as God. I don't want the job as God. Whoever wants to be divine, you're crazy. You're crazy if you want to be your own God. Thank God we have the God that we have who is all merciful, all just, and all loving. And this is why in this homily we start with God. How did God love us? God loved us when we were enemies of him, as St. Paul says. Not when we were friends of God, when we were enemies, caught in sin. The, the, the sin of Adam and Eve, our own personal sin, makes us enemies of God because God is all holy. So we're enemies of God, but God loved us even in our sins, even when we were enemies. He loved us to follow you on the cross. He loved us by giving of himself, pouring out himself from the cross for us, pouring out his life, his precious blood for us, forgiving us from the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Not only us, Jesus forgave his enemies who were spitting on him beneath the cross, who were yelling and cursing at him. And he forgave him right then and there with nails in his hands and in his feet. That's when you know you truly can forgive and love. That even as you're dying with nails in your hands and your feet and a crown of thorns on your head, and you're still able to forgive your enemies right at that moment. That's true love, what we call agape love in Christianity. Agape love, which means unconditional love, love without conditions. It's a love without conditions. That's what the, the word in Greek, agape, means, agape love. And, the, and these words in the gospel today, where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy, and hate, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The word that's used in Greek is agape. But then Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. He uses the word agape love. So it's not just a family love. It's not an eros love based on the senses. It's not a friendship love. You're not friends with your enemies. You don't go out to restaurants with your enemies. No, your enemies want to kill you. Your enemies hate you. Your enemies want to destroy you because you are a Christian. They don't like what you stand for. They don't like your values. 
They don't like anything about you. But Jesus says, agape your enemies, love your enemies unconditionally. Love them unconditionally. They hate you, don't hate them. They persecute you, don't persecute them. They hit you, don't retaliate against them. Don't start a war, what Jesus is saying. So how do we love our enemies? What's the first step in loving your enemy? And we have many enemies of Christianity today. Many enemies in different countries. Different countries, there are different kinds of enemies of Christianity. Anyone is anti-Christian, hates Christians for who they are, for what they believe. How do you first love your enemies? What's the reaction that you should have against an enemy of Christianity? And the enemy could be even within the church itself. There are enemies within the church itself, what we call heresies or schisms. Even if the enemy is within the church itself, how do we love our enemies? Do we complain? Do we murmur? Do we get bitter and angry? Because many people react that way. Anger is one of the seven capital sins. No, we don't get bitter, angry, complain, murmur. Jesus says our first step is to pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. How do you pray? What's a prayer that you can pray for your enemies? The Divine Mercy Chaplet. What's the Divine Mercy Chaplet? It's to make atonement for your sins and to make atonement for the sins of the world, for the atonement for the sins of your enemies. So you make atonement when you pray for your persecutors. You are making atonement for their sins. This is, this is not a, an agape that accepts your enemy's sins. No, it's not acceptance of your enemy's sins. Because people may say, well, you know, how, how do I love? How is there justice in here? There's justice in there in that you're not accepting your enemy's sins. You're praying to atone for their sins. And you're praying for their conversion that they will convert from their sins. So your, your prayer has a purpose. You want their conversion. You don't want them to stay in their sins. You want to pray for their conversion. But you don't want their persecution of you to bring about bitterness, hatred, anger, because anger is one of the seven capital sins. Then you're just as bad as your persecutor. If you get angry, and you start a war, you're just as bad. You're just as bad. Because the devil can even use truth to make you fall into sin, to very deceptive. He can put truth on your mind, and he could use that truth, or use that truth like a sledgehammer against your enemy in anger. And Jesus does not say this. He says, love your enemies, agape your enemies, love your enemies unconditionally. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly father. That's how you know you're a child, the heavenly father. And then he gives an example. 
that God makes his sun rise on the bad and the good and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. So as God does to his enemies, even now, that he's making the sun shine on his enemies, that he's making the rain fall on his enemies. But God does not really consider anyone enemies. He considers everyone as his children. Just some children go astray. As any parent who love their child and never call their child an enemy. That's the way that God sees us. So this agape love, really to have love for your enemies, to have love for a sinner, an unconditional love. The love, it's not an eros love, it's a love that's an act of the will. So it's not, it's not, a, it's not a love that you can sense in your senses. So don't go by feelings. Feelings can be very deceiving. Emotions can be very deceiving. I'm not saying, you know, squash your emotions. I'm not saying that you need emotions in life. I need emotions to preach or else you'd be falling asleep right now. So we need emotions. But agape love is an act of the will. It's something that goes against your emotions. I don't feel like loving this person. This person, their actions that they're doing against Christians or against the Catholic Church, I don't love their actions, but I need to love this person. How do I do that? Without my emotions get in the way? Act of the will. You have to do an act of the will. And in order to truly love that other person who's a sinner, who's probably broken in many ways in their life, that, you, that, that love becomes mercy. So love and mercy go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. Love and mercy are attached. As St. As Faustina says, love is the flower, mercy is the fruit. So when you love, agape love, another person that's an enemy or a persecutor, that becomes mercy. What is mercy? What is mercy? You ever hear the real definition of mercy? It, it comes from the, the Latin. The Latin word for mercy is misericordia. And if you break that word up, misericordia, miseri is the word for misery. Cordia, or core, is the word in Latin for heart. So mercy is when you see the misery of another person and you have heartfelt compassion for the misery of that person. How many people are in misery today? How many people are in misery? It might be through their own actions or it might be through no fault of their own. Maybe they just had a bad upbringing. Maybe they never learned about Christianity. Maybe they have false notions of Christianity. And maybe they're just miserable. They're just in misery. They're, they have a lack of peace. And so they, 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 seek, they, they seek to persecute another person to try to exalt themselves, to try to make themselves look better. 
A lot of times when a, when a bully is persecuting another person, it's because they have low self-esteem. And so they want to exalt themselves over someone who's weaker. And that's why they bully. Because they want to exalt themselves, because they don't feel good about themselves. They have low self-esteem. And so you see, there's misery that's there in which you see that even a bully, and you can have heartfelt compassion for, that, for the misery of that person, for that bully or that persecutor. You can have that heartfelt compassion. When you have that heartfelt compassion, then you begin to pray for that person. And as you begin to pray for that person, you begin to atone for their sins. You begin to say, for the sake of a sorrowful passion of mercy on us and on the whole world, you begin invoking mercy on that person, on yourself, but on that person also. You begin to atone for their sins with your words, with your mouth, with your prayers. And then, as you begin to do it with your prayers, you begin to do it with your actions. Then you begin to make sacrifices for that person's conversion. You begin to fast. You begin to give things up in life. You begin to make little sacrifices for that person's conversion. You begin offering not just words, but your skin itself. And even to the point where you can give up your life for that other person. For that other person that's in total misery, as Jesus did. You first begin with little sacrifices, and then God may ask you to give up your entire life for that person, like St. Stephen did for St. Paul. St. Paul, Saul became Paul because St. Stephen had agape love. He had misericordia for the misery of Saul. And so he gave his life for Saul and converted Saul to be a Paul. And then Paul is the one who writes about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, da-da-da-da-da. See that? So even a love for an enemy and mercy for an enemy can convert that enemy and make the enemy even greater than yourself. Your prayer should always be, Lord, that this person will become even more holy than I become. It's sometimes parents are worried about their children and their grandchildren. And I always say, pray that your children and grandchildren be even more a holy roller than you are. Pray that they become even greater than you. That was St. Monica's prayer. Oh Lord, that my son Augustine will become even greater than I am. And he did. And he did. Through her prayers, through her tears, through Monica's sacrifices, that Augustine was changed in his heart. And he became the man that God created him to be. He became the saint that God created him to be. He became even greater than his mother, Monica. So you never know what God's going to do through your prayers for your enemies, through your sacrifices for your enemies, your enemies could even be those of your household who are against Christianity, who are against your values. 
but you never know what your prayers and sacrifices and even your very life can do for another person. For if you give your life for another person, you shall save your soul. Because the greatest act of love that you can do is to give your life for another person and to think about giving your life for an enemy, not just a friend. Because then you're truly like Jesus Christ on the cross. You're truly forgiving your enemies. You're, you're, you're not just forgiving with your tongue, but you're forgiving with your life. You're giving your life for another person. That is why Jesus says at the end here, so be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the perfection of spirituality, the perfection of the Christian life. This is truly imitating the person of Jesus Christ when you can suffer and when you can die for another person. It's much easier than being angry all the time. Being angry and bitter and complaining, the devil robs your peace from your heart and he'll use the truth to do it. So be very weary about that. If you feel bitterness, you feel anger, you feel complaining against enemies of the church, enemies of Christianity, it's not them who needs to convert, it's you who needs to convert. You have to put it on yourself and say, oh God, take this anger, this bitterness away from me. God, help me to pray for my enemies. Help me to have heartfelt compassion on the misery of another person. When I see a sinner, help me to have that heartfelt compassion. It takes grace. You have to pray for that grace. How long do you have to pray for it? Until you receive it. And people say, how long do I have to pray for it? Do I just pray one Hail Mary? You may have to pray a million Hail Marys until you receive it. You pray until you receive the grace. You keep knocking on the heart of Jesus Christ until you receive that grace. And God will give you that grace. If you pray for it, God will give you that grace. And if you receive that grace, then you truly will be children of the Heavenly Father, loving your enemies, forgiving those who persecute you, giving your life for your persecutors, and then you will be perfect just as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? 
I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.